Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, hey, it is Sunday, and uh, you're at church, we hope. Well, if you're listening to this and you're at church, then the sermon's say, really bad. <laughs> We've all had some stinkers, so maybe this is one of your days. The, it could be. It could be, but we hope not. I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, it is Sunday and we're together as a church family. At least this morning we are, and that's a good thing. That's a great thing, man. It's this is awesome one of the things thing. that is a privilege of our partnership, our union with Christ, is that we get to be partnered with one another. Yep. We talk about the language of brother and sister in the Lord. I mean, that, that's real, though. It is. That's real. We are family. And it if is. If you're in Christ, we are family that will never, ever separate. Ever. Ever. I mean, ever. maybe in this life. Forever. But heaven is forever, man. It I, is. I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. And it, 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 it is a blessing. It, it's a it's a privilege. You're right, because it's, it's a relationship relationship that's so unique from any other relationship that we have on this planet thicker than blood it is it, i mean just the that you can walk into church on sunday morning and know that there's going to be somebody there that not only is a friendly face but is a friendly face who understands this life the way that you understand this life so that when you're walking through the valley you've got somebody there that you can talk to who's going to spur you on and stir you up and, and remind you of eternity and call you to endure and persevere and say, I'm going to be praying for you. And you know that they will be praying for you. You walk into the Elks Lodge or the, the Kiana's Club or whatever around here and you're you're sitting around and you're talking about what's going on. It's like, oh man, that's a bummer. Yeah, I've been there too. Hope you get out of it. It's like, yeah. there's so much of a depth and richness to the Christian community that is such a blessing. It is so sweet to be together for the gospel. It is so nice that we can share the primary things. But I guess on that note, there are things that are secondary and tertiary. So first, second, and third level, that's what those terms mean, primary, secondary, tertiary, um, that we are going to strongly disagree on. And there's still, I mean, there's still things happening. Even today, I was reading tweets and, and articles and watching videos about this whole Alistair Beck thing. Yep. So, Pastor PJ, let's let's talk a little more about that. Maybe yep. this would be helpful just to offer our final few cents. And, may, and there's lots sure. of actually application from this that we could draw from. But give us a couple of your thoughts on this. Yeah. Any developing ideas? Yeah, I mean, I mean Beck has been faithful uh, as a pastor and preacher for a long time and, uh, and theologian like, uh, on top of that. We connect in the primaries and, and many, most of the secondaries, I believe. Right, even right. Some third level things. And so when he came out in support of a Christian attending a, the marriage of a transgender individual or homosexual, it, that, it was shocking. And I think everybody kind of expected him to, to kind of issue a mea culpa and Retreat, say, yeah, my hey, bad. Uh, I wasn't, uh, that's not what I meant. Uh, instead, what he did is he came out and said, no, I, I actually meant what I said and, and I'm standing by what I said. And, uh, and he's actually doubled down apparently even in a, a sermon and kind yeah. of gone after his uh, Last week. Uh, critics. Uh, from the pulpit, which is always a dangerous thing to use the pulpit for personal means uh, of, of any stretch or any uh, circumstance. But I think what's troubling to me is here you have a man who's been faithful in the pulpit for, like I said, decades. And we've been in agreement with him for a long time. And there are many, many, many pastors from different tribes and camps that are all looking at Alistair saying, Alistair, you, you've missed it on this one. Like you're wrong on this. So it's not just that it's one corner of Christendom that's saying you're wrong on this. It's it's a broad swath of pastors and, and theologians out there that are saying, yeah, this is wrong. And here's all the reasons why. Not just this is wrong, but here's all the biblically articulated and argued reasons why this is a wrong position for you to hold. And for him to silo himself and say, 
I'm circling the wagons and holding them fast to my position to me communicates a, a lack of spiritual maturity, which I would never attribute to the guy up until this situation. It, we were talking before we went on air. This is such an odd thing to stake yourself to the ground on towards the end of your ministry career. And, and especially when you have so many people saying, Alistair, you're wrong on this. Yeah. Do you think that, so it seems like based on what he said from the pulpit and even his response right now, that there's a, a fair bit of pushback on his end. In a sermon, he suggested that those who are coming against him maybe don't understand grace that well. Um, he suggested a few other things, too. And granted, I think I think he was tactful, I mean, from my read on that. So help us to learn a few things from this. Yeah. Um, he's saying, and let's just go back to the, the question here. He, he's saying that there are certain circumstances where it makes sense for a Christian to attend the wedding of, you know, a trans or or homosexual something like that um give us a quick rundown why is that wrong right and you can find anyone from macarthur to phil johnson to dr moeller to todd friel to justin peters so many have come out and and argued this so it's it's out there if you want to find out more but in short it's this those that attend a wedding are giving their tacit support to the union of the biblically defined husband and wife uh, that's why in olden times, there was the statement that was made by the, the minister during the wedding. If anyone has any reason why these two should not be wed, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. In other words, your silent attendance there implicitly implies, yeah, you give your support to this. This is a good thing. You're affirming this relationship. Right. So as Christians, even though you're probably not attending too many weddings these days where the pastor is saying that from the from the front, the general principle holds true. You've been asked to attend this wedding not as a, a conscionable objector, objector um, but as one who supports this relationship in this union. So by your presence there, you are giving your support, silent, tacit as it may be, to this union. And so as Christians, when we see uh, two individuals getting married who don't fit the biblical de- definition of what marriage is, which is, let's remind ourselves, one man, one woman, biologically defined, created as that by God in utero, that's that's marriage. One man and one, one woman, period, end of story. Contrary to how the government defines, the government doesn't get to define marriage. God does, and God has defined it. So anytime we're asked to attend a wedding that is involving two individuals that don't fit that, then we have to understand our presence there gives approval to that union. But someone might say, well, hold on a second. What if, uh, I don't know, it's your, it's your cousin, your uncle, whatever. They're two unbelievers. You would go to an unbeliever's wedding. Why is that any different? Right, because God allows for the precedent of a valid marriage between a believer and unbeliever. In fact, between two unbelievers. Paul speaks to that in 1 Corinthians. He says he speaks of a scenario where someone is saved and says, hey, if you're saved, stay in the marriage to the unbeliever, implying that God recognizes the validity of that marriage because it is it is not against nature. Uh, the 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 definition that God ordained marriage to be what it is because it's in keeping with nature, the nature of the two created beings and the way that they come together to procreate uh, is natural. That is the right thing. The Anything else is an aberration. It's unnatural. And so when we have two unbelievers coming together, it's still an affirmation of the natural design of marriage that God created. When you have two men or two women coming together, this is unnatural. It's an aberration. It's a, a perversion of what God has ordained and defined as this is what marriage is to be. So you can attend two unbelievers wedding uh, marriage uh, as long as it's a man and, and a woman because in you're supporting God's natural design for marriage there. Um, but when it comes to anything else, you're agreeing to, you're supporting something that is a perversion and twisting of God's design for marriage. 
Would you attend a wedding of a, a professing Christians, uh, a professing Christian with a non-Christian? Is that same ballpark? Is that different? How would you so tease that out? There, in we're, we're in kind of a a parallel. Uh, camp, but a different camp uh, in addressing that issue because scripture specifically speaks against that and says that this is an act of disobedience. Do not be unequally yoked. And right. Even if that was only dealing with business, which I don't think it is, I think it's dealing with more than business. But hey, if that's true in business, how much more true should that be true? Should that be uh, accurate of, of a marriage relationship? So I would object to an, a believer marrying an unbeliever, and right. I probably would not attend that wedding because, again, you're giving approval to something that is wrong, something that is sinful. Uh, different reason that it's sinful, but it's still sinful. Helpful. So when someone um, says something like this, I think uh, the general tenor I've been really impressed with is has been humility and gentleness to say, hey, Alistair, we think you're wrong on this. Would you yeah. please reconsider the position? Would you yeah. please reconsider what you're talking about here? Um, any words of encouragement to those who are listening who maybe have a similar situation of someone who strongly disagrees about this situation? In fact, it hurts from somebody that uh, they have a close friend who is all for what Alistair said, like, absolutely, I would do the same thing. That's that's the right Christian thing to do. Um, encouragement for someone who's dealing with a friend, relative, whoever, same situation. Yeah, I, I think it, it's going to impact your relationship. Um, anytime you've got somebody that is resisting correction, uh, remember, this is what scripture is calling us to, or is, is there for us to do with it. Uh, correction, rebuking, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So anyone who's resistant to the correction of scripture, especially from multiple avenues, there's going to be a, a hindrance and interruption to that relationship. There's going to be a problem there. Um, if we feel like this person is in sin in their position, um, I, and th- th- that's, what's tricky here. I, I don't know the situation well enough to be able to speak and say, sure. I think that he's in sure. sin. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. If if it is a situation where the person's in sin advocating for an unbiblical position and holding fast to that in the face of rebuke and correction, well, then we, we do have a situation where Matthew 18 needs to be per- proceeded with. So other than that, can you still have table fellowship with somebody who holds a different view on this? Can you still sit across the aisle from them at church? Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, this is not something where you need to say, you're an unbeliever, I'm a believer, let's not talk to each other ever again from this point forward. Yeah, man, be prayerful about this. If you got someone in your life who you need to talk to, yeah. pray about this, uh, seek the wisdom of your elders, and uh, go forward, man. Let's and use use the Bible in this. This is because th- it will become an emotional argument yeah. from the other side of things. Well, because I want them to feel loved, and I want them to know that I support them. And if I don't show up, then I'm never going to have a voice in their life. And what if they never get saved? Because then I'm, they're never going to want to talk to me again. Listen, we are not called to be led by our emotions and our feelings and our what ifs. We're called to be led by Scripture. So make Scripture your your platform, your foundation, your support network for any argument that you're going to enter into, because that's the safest place to be is in the Word of God. And what a great diving board into our text today. Thanks for holding with us. Exodus chapters 19, 20, and 21. Nope, 16 through 18. 16, 17, and 8. That's exactly what I said. Yeah. Did, you, did you mishear me? I I must have. I must Weird. have. I'm sorry. That's See, that's all he needs to do is he just needs to say, I'm sorry. I am on the total wrong day. Let me yeah. say that. 16, 17, and 18. Um, <laughs> still, it is the word of God, and it is true, so we can hold fast to this. Hey, chapter 16, the beginning, I, I titled, titled this one, Hangry, because <laughs> you've got the Israelites. I made myself laugh there. Uh, you've got the Israelites, and they are hungry, and they've got no food, and uh, they're, they're upset. Um, 16.1, you've got a, a time marker here. Uh, you've got them, uh, the, the people coming to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. 
So this is month two. They, they left Egypt after the, the 14th day. Cause remember the, the Passover took place on the 14th day. So 15th day, that's one time marker one right there. So this is one month later, even though it says the second month, this isn't two months that they've been wandering. This is the second month from the marker being that first month being the 15th that they left. And now they're at the, the second time there. Think we're tracking with you. Yep. So they're there. They're upset. They're angry. Here's more lack of faith from them. They're grumbling again and uh, saying, hey, I, I wish we had just died um, in Egypt. And, and the Lord is still patient with them right it's now. So dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, he's not going to be eventually. He's he's going to tell Moses before too long, hey, Moses, back up because I'm about to just destroy everybody and start over back with you. Up, Terry. Um, but he uh, he's still patient with them here. And uh, and that's that's uh, just a, a sign of God's grace and uh, and patience, which is, is pretty amazing um, when you think about it. And uh, and so here we get. Uh, the, the response from God, God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide food for you. Um, you're going to get manna and you're going to get quail. Uh, and uh, and the, the manna is this bread that you're going to have, bread-like substance that's going to show up in the, the morning time and then quail in the evening. Um, and uh, and yeah, so God says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. So uh, verses seven and eight, Moses wants the people to, to understand when God shows up that that it is him that gets the glory and, uh, and not Moses and not the people that, uh, that they need to recognize that this is from God and they need to recognize that, that their grumbling is wrong. Even when they come against Moses and Aaron, uh, that really what they're doing is they're grumbling against God. And, uh, and so he issues that warning and then God pr- begins to provide what he's going to provide for them as far as food for the rest of their wilderness wandering until they come into the promised land. That's pretty amazing. Amazing. And also I, I, I tremble a little bit about that because I, I like a, a variety of things. It seems like this would be kind of challenging for even the strongest palate. If you had to eat one thing for the rest of your life, one oh, one meal. Do it, man. No, no, come on. One thing. Oh, okay, let me just think. For uh, me, it's spaghetti, hands spaghetti. down. I would do spaghetti. Oh, mercy. Um, I'd I be the biggest pastor on the face of the planet, too. You would be. Just all carbs. Steak and be potatoes or something like that. That'd be fun. Okay. Okay, fair enough. That, that's just, that'd have to be it. Yeah. Yeah, one thing. It, you're right. It would get, you'd think it'd get old. But it's also from God. Like it's like, it's like God's like, here's manna. Yeah. Uh, one of the Psalms calls it the food of angels. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's pretty good. But I, I, I took great uh, conviction from the fact that all grumbling is against the Lord. I think that's mm. kind of the implied takeaway for, for me and for anyone else who's listening. We grumble. We're, we're not grumbling against a man or, or, or a situ- situation, even though we might be. In our minds, we might be saying, oh, I'm mad at this person or I'm upset at this particular situation. Who controls all these things? Right. Who's behind every single detail of human life? Now, that gets difficult when you start thinking about the theodicy issues and whether God's behind evil or whether and how God is behind evil. Right. But ultimately, uh, God himself is the one who who controls and ordains and sovereignly decrees all things for his glory and his honor. So be careful when you complain, especially in front of your kids if you have them. Be careful because they're listening, and so is God. Yep. Yeah, and, and God's wanting them to remember his provision. And so towards the end of chapter 16, they they gather some of this manna, and they put it in a jar so that they can remember, hey, God, God's providing for you. That's kind of cool. And even more so is does that testify to this reality? Because part of this agreement that God makes with Israel is, hey, when you go out on, uh, on the Sabbath day, there's not going to be any manna there. And uh, if you try to store up some other days of the week that's not, the, the day before the Sabbath, it's just going to go bad overnight. And so just trust that each day will have the provision that, that God will, will make for you. And so yet there's this one jar that they're going to be able to have and preserve and hold, hold on to and say, this is what God has done for us. So it's, it's meant to remind them and you'd think, okay, Israel's clearly going to get it now. Now they're done. They're done grumbling. They're done complaining. 
And then chapter 17. And they never learned. Well, just really quickly here, yeah. chapter 16, John chapter 6, Jesus is the bread of life. He yeah. is the true bread. Don't forget these things as you read your Old Testament. We're going to talk about that Always. today at church a That's, little bit. I can't wait. That's going mean, to be fun. not bread of life yet, but yeah. Getting close. Yep. Uh, so don't forget, as you read your Old Testament, keep in mind the New Testament uh, connections, especially when they so easily and clearly connect with Jesus. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So 17, <laughs> they they move on. And there's a lot of place names here, y'all. And, and some of the place names we can pinpoint. Others, we, we don't know to be sure. In fact, we'll talk about it when we get there. But even Mount Sinai and the location of Mount Sinai, we're not entirely sure about that. And a lot of the reason for that is if you think of this region of the world right now, it's under the control of some pretty strict Muslim nations that aren't too keen on opening up to archaeologists coming in. And I, I know and it's it weird. Out. It's crazy. Um, and so we don't know a ton here, but the point is they come to this place uh, and, and they want water. Uh, there's no people for, there, there's no people for the water to drink. There's no, there's no people, there's no for, people the for the water to drink. to drink, man. There's no water for the people to drink. And, uh, and so they grumble and they complain and they quarrel with Moses saying, give us water to drink. <laughs> Moses says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? And then they, they thirst there even more. And so Moses cries out to the Lord, what am I supposed to do with these people? And, and this is like, this is Moses, the dad. He's like, what, what am I supposed to do with these? Like, what do you want me to do, God? Like you gave me these people. Here they are. They're, they're grumbling to me. What do you want me to do? And so God tells Moses to go and strike the rock. I, I found something interesting on this, uh, that it was actually common practice in this region for shepherds to get water out of rocks Oh, because the porous sandstone rock would often hold water in it. Oh. And the way they would get it out is they would strike the rock and the rock would release the water that was inside it. I did not know that. So there's a question mark here as to clearly this is God miraculously working to bring Moses to a rock that's going to provide water for all the people. But this could also explain why later on when Moses gets in trouble in the book of numbers for striking the rock, that could explain why he hits the rock there, even though God specifically told him to speak to the rock. Mm -hmm. If the common practice was you hit the rock to get water out, well, Moses might've thought, okay, whatever, in his anger, not remembered what the Lord commanded him to do and struck the rock, mm. not petulantly as a, a child trying to disobey God, but because that's what he was thinking that he was doing and he was disobeying God, having not remembered that God told him this time, no, you need to speak to the rock. Just an interesting note there. First Corinthians 10, 4 talks yeah. about the rock being Christ. It was a spiritual rock. Um, so when we think about the rock here, are we to think about it in any way as being, is, is, is that as is the rock Christ? Is, the, is that a rockophony? Or is there something different going on there? When we compare 1 Corinthians 10 and this passage. Yeah, I think it's metaphorical in 1 Corinthians 10 more than it is saying this was Jesus and Moses hit Jesus, Jesus with rock. a staff. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, that would be my take on it. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, 17, 8 through 16 then, we get the first fight um, where Israel encounters the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites are interesting. Uh, Esau did have a grandson named Amalek. We read about him in Genesis 36, but... Uh, whether or not the Amalekites descended from him is a different question because the Amalekites are actually first on the scene all the way back in Genesis chapter 14, verse seven, before his grandson, Esau's grandson is even around at that point. So um, the Amalekites were kind of a, a, a name for groups of roaming uh, desert pirates, for lack of a better term. I mean, they were- They sound cool. Yeah, they, they were they were raiding tribes. They were people that went in and just caused a ruckus and caused problems. And so this band that seems to have eventually drawn their their name from the grandson of, of Esau shows up 
and uh, and they are not happy with Israel's presence. And God uh, says, look, I'm going to fight for you. And so God sets up this battle so that it will be abundantly clear to the people that it's him that's going to win and not them in their own strength. Again, God reminding the people that he is their deliverer. He is the one that's doing all these things, just as he was when he was given the manna and he was providing water from the rock. So it is here as he's allowing them to win as Moses' staff is lifted up above his head. So is Moses praying here, or is this just a matter of the staff being held up? What do you think? Yes. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's primarily the emphasis on the miraculous, the visible, because if you think about the troops that were out engaged in the battle, they wouldn't have been able to hear what Moses was saying, but they could look up and see, okay, Moses has his, his hands lifted above his head. When he's got his hands lifted above his head, things are going well. When they drop down, man, things are not going so well for us. So I think this was a, a test of faith on God's part for Moses and also a testimony to the Israelites of God's faithfulness to them through another, just like parting the Red Sea, drawing water from the rock, giving manna from heaven, another miraculous evidence of, of God's favor on the, his people. Yeah, it's one of those amb- ambiguous texts that we, we, I think most people have assumed, oh, it's because Moses is praying and, and I held this. I still kind of, I think I still do. <laughs> I think he, I think it suggests that he's praying or interceding on their behalf, but you're, you're right. It could, it could be this and that, a little bit of this or the other. Not entirely clear because the text doesn't exactly tell us he was praying. It just tells, he, tells us he was holding the staff above his head. So there you go. Something to be interesting, uh, something interesting to note. Yeah. Chapter 18, then, we get a wise father-in-law. And uh, Jethro shows up. And at this point in time, remember, Jethro is a Midianite. He is not an Israelite. He is a, a pagan. He's a, a Gentile, so to speak. He's outside of the people of God, uh, even though he is uh, is key to God's people and God's family with his relationship to Moses. But he shows up, and uh, in Israel here in verse 5 is, is all of a sudden camped, notice, at Mount Sinai. So in the next chapter, chapter 19, they're going to set out from Rephidim for Sinai. And here in chapter 18, they're at Sinai. And so it's, yeah, it's probably arranged in a specific way on purpose by Moses as Moses was recording these things. But just note here uh, that there is a a little bit of an out of order uh, recording of these chapters here. Yeah, I think it's important to note that scripture is not as, I don't know, as concerned with giving us a an accurate account that is in the time frame that we expect. Right. 2024, I think most of us expect things to, okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It's kind of the way our brain thinks. Chronological. And, and what, chronologically. Yep. What Western minds tend to think that way. But the Eastern mind and the biblical mind is not as concerned with that as we are. So just a heads up on right. that. Thematic. Right. Well, Moses goes out to greet his father-in-law as he shows up and shows him a great deal of respect, bowing down to him and kissing him and uh, wishing him well. The, the welfare is the word shalom in Hebrew, and it's a common greeting even today as you go to Israel. It's uh, a, a wishing not just a peace, but of, of, of a wholeness of peace about the whole person, a general welfare. And that's why the ESV, I think, uses that word there, uh, welfare in translation. Uh, 9 through 12, uh, you get Jethro worshiping God. Um, as a result of witnessing everything that had happened and hearing everything that had happened. And and I read multiple commentaries say, this seems to be Jethro's conversion moment somewhere in here that he is recognizing that God is truly the only God and the only God worthy of worship and praise. Um, Verse 11, note specifically, he says, I know now that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. So Jethro here is making this confession of exclusivity about God. So that seems pretty cool. 
and then after this, he gives some good advice to, to Moses. He says, Moses, man, I, I'm watching what you're doing. You've got a lot on your plate. Why don't you train and, and call some godly and qualified men, elders, if you will. This is a, a foundational text even for plurality judges. of leadership. Yeah, judges. Um, even in the church, though, I think uh, there's a, an example here of, uh, of co-shepherding alongside one another. And he says, well, why don't you gather people together to, to help you with this? And, and Moses listens to him and it goes well for Israel in this. And I think that's a great mark on Moses's character, man of humility. Yeah. Could have said, dude, God's talking to me, not to you, dad. Right. Thank you, but no thank you. Instead, he listens and God blesses that. I think that's something interesting and important for us to even consider too. As we consider uh, sources outside the Bible, we say that scripture alone is authoritative for all of our lives, but it doesn't tell us about all of our lives. Right. There are certain things that we're going to go to, you know, uh, I don't know, experts about this or that and the other thing. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Everything is to submit to the authority of the Word of God, but that doesn't mean that we can't go to other sources for other helpful information. Does that make sense? Yeah. I see, I see a look on your face. No, absolutely it does. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get. Yeah, and, and you know, sometimes it's one voice that comes to us, and, and you know, kind of to bring things full circle as we land the plane here, I think when we, you have a situation like in the situation with, with Beg and everything else going on there, when you have a lot of voices coming to you saying the same thing, and those voices are respective voices, uh, it's, it's probably God trying to get a message through to you. Maybe on we that consider front. the thing. Yeah. Whatever yeah. it is. There's wisdom and abundance of counselors. In this case, Moses only needed one, which is awesome. But uh, for you, if you're hearing the same thing from a lot of different people and they're people that are faithful to, to follow the Lord, I, I think it's a, a good call to, to maybe heed their advice. Hey, real quick. Thank you all. I, I don't know if I've updated you guys on the podcast yet, but thank you guys for praying for us. Um, yeah. Really quick. My, my baby girl and mama are home as of, let's see, this is, is this a Sunday's podcast? This is Sunday's. So as of Friday. Yeah. Friday. <sighs> the thank you guys so yeah. much for your prayers and for your support. We love you guys so much. We're so thankful. And uh, just, just wanted you to know we felt your love and we deeply appreciated it. Yeah. We're glad that you guys are back home together as a family. Thank you very much. And your voice sounds like you, you cut down to no packs a day. No packs a day. Now it was a hard one. We it off. I've still got the patch on a couple places, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Anyways. Hey, keep reading your Bibles guys and have a great start to your week tomorrow. Join us again as uh, we dive into the next section, the section that Pastor Rod wanted to cover today. We'll hit that one tomorrow. Just anxious to get to it. See you guys then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.